right, let's do this uh, check thing. So, and Tammy on three, right? So, sorry, on one, on zero, on zero. Three, two, one. Mark. Check. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Close enough. You know, you can't take me anywhere. <laughs> you just have to make some sort of noise. So, three, two, one. Mark. Mark. Oh, check. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 138 of the Morgan Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we also have Tammy Coron online from West Tennessee. Hey there. Hey there. How how you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How, is, how do you say how's it, how's it going? How's it going? It's going well. That's it. Yeah, that's how to say. It. How's it going? How's it going? <laughs> Did I do that right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. So we had uh, one Ask MTJ's follow up, and it is from friend of the show Sean Marson. He asked if anybody's having any performance or crashing issues after upgrading to ten dot three on their phones. I guess. Um, and yeah, that was from a couple of days ago. I, I I've only updated one machine, one device by accident to ten three, but I think there was a ten three one a patch that came out um, a couple of days ago, right? Yeah, ten point three point one just came out yesterday, I think. Yeah, and apparently addresses a, a number of issues that people must. I mean, it came out pretty quickly, so there must have mm-hmm. been a common problem for people. Had you tried it yet, Mark? Yeah, I I didn't see any problems with ten point three, but I did upgrade to ten point three point one pretty quickly, so I may have just not noticed it. Right, right. How about you, Tammy? I'm always slow on the roll on these things. I tend to not upgrade until I'm absolutely forced to. You know, I'm of the mindset, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And my phone is not right, yet right. broke. So yeah, we I'm had no an help there. We had an interesting issue, and it may be related to 10.3. I accidentally... So Carol got Carol the new red iPhone and moved her over. We you know did the proper iTunes migration over to that one. And... um what happened though was, yeah, she had a main iCloud account on there, and she lost all of her notes on her phone. And, and when, when we went back to check her old phone, they were all gone there as well. So I did a recovery, and what's odd is is happening. And I've recovered a couple of times, but I can see the notes for a split second, and then as soon as iCloud connects, they disappear again. So kudos to Apple for losing our data. We really appreciate that. But but that was I had inadvertently updated the Carol's old phone to ten point three during this whole restore process, right? So. That may be part of uh, part of the headaches that people are having as well. I think I did see something about that, that it was iCloud problems that were the reason for 3.1. Really? Okay, yeah. Because yeah. when we checked her, when we checked her uh, iCloud, uh, there were no notes on iCloud, which mm. I thought was very strange. And, you know, I'm a huge um, iCloud pages user. Like, I everything's synced in the cloud, and if things start disappearing, I'm not going to be a very happy camper. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Carol's a little less diligent about updating or backing up and things like that. She just sort of hands me the phone and says, here, do this, right? So can I jump (laughs) out of this for one second and ask why you, thank you, why you use the cloud over something like um, Google Drive or even Dropbox? Uh, It's, uh, I mean, no particular reason. Um, You know, uh, I do use, as you know, I use both cloud and Dropbox, Uh, but I've always used iCloud for syncing and I've always been happy with its ability to sync uh, uh, data across my multiple devices, my, either my contact list or my calendar or um, my notes as well. I just, I love the idea that I can just quickly write a note down and no matter like whether I'm on on my phone, I know it'll be on the Mac later on, or if I make a note on the Mac, you know, like for instance, with the show notes for as we're recording or as I'm editing the show, I'll just open up a blank page and put in the, the episode na- name and then start adding notes to it. And then I, if I remember something when I'm on out and about, you know, I can just open up that file and away I go. And, and just, it just, you know, I find with, with Google and having to log in, things take a while to get like, even opening the podcast notes takes a while. Whereas, you know, notes is almost instantaneous. So I don't know, just never, never thought of yeah. anything else. I use all three, uh, as well. And it, it really just depends on which ecosystem I happen to be in at the time. Um, well, Dropbox is a little different. Dropbox I just use for just a lot of storage. You know, if I just have massive store, massive amount of things I need to store, and a lot of it is historical. I've got things going back years that are up there, so I mainly use it for that. Uh, Google Cloud, I I kind of only really use when I'm working with people who are also in that ecosystem. Uh, what's kind of ugly about it is is uh, 
I have many multiple Google accounts, and I constantly right. be flipping between to to get the you know get to the right one. And sometimes somebody will send something to the wrong one, and it's not visible in the right one, and it's always just kind of a pain that way. Uh, so, so I like iCloud too. Although I actually, I don't actually use it for uh, collaboration all that much. Um, but what the one thing I use it for all the time is iCloud Keychain. I, I really love that. I think that works yeah. great. Yeah, I've started to use that too. That's another another thing, Tammy. Is that um, with iCloud you can now um, sync your your keychain across the multiple devices, and if you're a Safari user, you can also sync your uh, your uh, bookmarks and things across multiple devices, which has always been you know a, a bit of a problem. Like um, and I do the same thing with with one password too. I, I you know I like the fact that one the one password account keeps my things synced across uh, multiple multiple devices as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just about convenience, man. Convenience. Yep. All right. Cool. I was just curious. Yeah. Just uh, you know, I, I, you missed last week's show. Um, we talked about Aaron Douglas's um, article we had on Roundabout. By the way, if you want to go listen to that episode, um, he talked. He did a piece on um, comparing uh, for photos syncing between uh, iCloud, Google, and and uh, the Amazon product with Prime. And he found that in his after his all of his research, he decided to stick with iCloud. So iCloud Photo. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Um, another follow-up item here, and uh, I was thinking about. Uh, um, Mark comment about file private a couple of times during the week. And uh, this article came out, I think, today. I just saw it. T- yes, April 5th today. This is recording on April 5th. From uh, Jesse Squires, uh, or Jess Squires. I don't know how he pronounces it. He's an English dude, so he'll have to let us know. Uh, but he wrote an article on thoughts on Swift access control. And uh, it's a bit of a long read, but he talks a bit about the history of um uh, access control in Swift. In the original Swifts, there were there was no access control. Then we were introduced to public, internal, and private. Where private, you know, is what you would think it would be. Um, and kind of as it kind of evolved through the different uh, iterations of Swift, as I mentioned last week, that uh, file private came into being around Swift 3.0. And then you know, in in this last iteration of Swift where we are today, uh, we now have. Uh, uh, another sort of level of public called open, which, you know, so we have public and open um, as well. So another basically five levels. There's open, um, public, internal, pro- file private, and private. And it's funny because I mean, the idea behind file private was that it would only be used in rare occasions, but it seems to be being used in more often than not. Uh, I see file private a lot in uh, in uh, in use in uh, the, with the people I work with. Um, so uh, it's kind of we've gotten way beyond where I think, you know, maybe we initially needed to be. But, you know, open, uh, I'm not going to go through the definitions. <laughs> Pretty long article. I haven't really had a chance to get too far into it, uh, but I I will. Yeah, so if you're interested, <laughs> thanks, Mark. You should have given me some advance warning. <laughs> now, uh, it was in notes. I put it in there a while ago. That's but, true. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think his point was um, it just seemed to be. I think Jess, 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 Mr. Squire, his uh, good name, eh, Squire? Ooh, Squires. Um, uh, that file pri- or that uh, this this new level of access, we seem to have gotten more um, crossover in terms of uh, file control than than uh, than maybe we need. I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, but if you're interested in this, uh, take definitely take a look at it. Again, it's not terribly long read, but it is a good uh, overview of. Mm-hmm. Access control and those kind of things. Well, it is a longer document, which I also have not gone through, but all I can say is this. Yeah. Anything that makes the code easier to read, easier to manage, and overall better to maintain, I'm all for. Now, whether okay. or not this does this or steps away from that, I don't know because I don't know enough about it to actually comment on it. Beyond what I just said, you know, if it makes the code better, easier to read, and easier to manage, then thumbs up. All right. Okay. Sorry, that's our follow-up on file private. So um, this could very well be quite a bit of uh, follow-up here, but um, as many of you listeners know, uh, Mr. Greg Heo Esquire, um, myself, and uh, Tammy Coron attended RW DevCon 2017 this weekend, this past weekend, and... Um, We'd uh, like to sort of share some of our thoughts about it. What do you What do you think about the conference, Tammy? I know you were chained to a room. Yes, but, uh, I was a room host and a speaker, so I didn't get to enjoy the conference as an attendee. Um, it's It's kind of funny too because 
you don't know how much work goes into it until you actually do it. And there were quite a few talks that I really, really wanted to see. And they, these talks happened to be in the room that I was hosting, but I was busy hosting and I didn't get to watch them, which is kind of weird uh. to say, but I can tell you uh, that the ones that I, I was interested in and can't wait for the videos to come out would be Sean Duffy's talk on building a platformer game in Unity. Then there was... Sam Davis's talk. Now, by the way, I always used to call him Sam Davies, but his right, name is right. Sam Davis. And I found that out when I asked him, oh. hey, how do you pronounce your name? Because I have to introduce you. But he had a talk on mastering Git, which was also very interesting because a lot of us in the development community and even in other communities use Git all the time, but we don't necessarily, I don't want to say we don't understand the inner workings of it, but we certainly don't use it to its fullest extent and capabilities. So that was definitely a very interesting talk. I would definitely, I definitely agree with that statement. So I'm interested in seeing the talk. I've, I've recently started working with a, a team that, that, uh, works more on the, you know, C++ Python side and less, I'm kind of the only one who does iOS development with them. And, uh, getting used to their Git system was, was kind of an eye opener. They do a lot of things that are very different than what we do normally in the Xcode centric world, right? So, right. so um, yeah. So, it, it, Git Git is more powerful than than anyone. No one knew how powerful Git was. Right. <laughs> um, Are they using like a Git flow kind of process, Mark? At all? Like, do you know? Like, um... uh, not Git flow. No, uh, I'm not okay. aware of that. Right. But, but, mm. um, but yeah, there's just lots of little little uh, tricks here and there that that uh, that I picked up that I didn't know before. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be a several-headed snake, if you will. Mm-hmm. For sure. I was looking forward to that. I had to miss that one because I think it was it conflicted with uh, a couple of other talks that I went to. Um, I think um, a Gemma, Bar- Gemma Barlow did a talk on um, um, practical unit testing, too, which uh, continued on um, Jack Wu's introduction to, to uh, unit testing. I went through Jack's stuff today on the uh, offline, and... Um, it seemed like a, a good survey of unit testing if you hadn't done it before, but Gemma covered off uh, more of con- um, continuous integration plans and strategies. Things like we used Buddy Build actually in the in the uh, in the tutorial part. So it was the first time I've actually you know we've talked about Buddy Build on the show a number of times, but I've actually gone through and tested it out myself. And so we did that as part of our part of the. Um, part of the talk um anyway so yeah so Gemma did a good talk on uh continuous integration which is the next part of of uh, unit testing as well um ray did a talk on perfectly or, or using um server-side swift with perfect so we we, sh- we learned how to use perfect to set up a web server on or what yeah web server on the um on the Macintosh or, and, uh, host in writing our, our web code in Swift. We use some templates, obviously. I mean, the HTML part was HTML, but, uh, we use a number of, um, things, uh, within Perfect's uh, world to do that. Um, and some third party stuff, Storm for database, I believe it was. And uh, a thing called Mustache for templating, which I'd never seen before. And then Mick followed that up a little later on in the day with a um, talk on deploying your uh, stuff to AWS. And we used, so we looked at using Docker, which is kind of a interesting concept. I mean, I've run number of service servers. In fact, I currently do run number of servers. And so you you know when you have to have one web app and another you know maybe API for for an application or something like that, and you'll have to spin up a virtual drive. Uh, virtual server, if you will, with RAM and disk space and CPU processes and stuff like that to basically run that. Whereas Docker's mentality is a little differently where you have uh, little docs or little units of uh, functionality that you put together and um, they're in, they can be, you can run multiple instances of multiple websites and stuff like that, but all within these little docs. So you don't have to have, so it it sort of takes away the whole sort of, how do I set up the server? How much RAM do I need? How much, you know, uh, um, disk base do I need to have it kind of manages all that so docker is kind of a cool thing and so definitely we'll cover that in the in videos um, which will be cool what else did I see uh, it was great seeing all the hmm? did you get a chance to see Swift playgrounds in depth I didn't know but I use Swift playgrounds all the time myself so I, I kind of I felt I, I was obligated I, I could skip that one and come back to it and watch the videos later on because um, I've I've been playing around with Swift playgrounds on the uh on the iOS devices as well as like authoring them as well. And I know that, uh, I talked to, um, who did the talk on that one? Um, Javed, Javed, right? How do you say his name? 
I, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know how to pronounce his name. He wasn't in my he wasn't in my room, so I didn't ask him. <laughs> okay, well, the gentleman uh, uh, who did the talk on uh, playgrounds kind of gave us a brief overview of some of the stuff he took. Yeah, actually, I was at uh, at one of the receptions, and, and Ash Furrow was there, and the two of them met for the first time, and they started talking about some of the work that Ash has done on uh, scripting. Uh, the the generation of the playground book, you know, because there's a there's a whole sort of it's kind of like publishing an ebook in that there's there's uh, you know you've got the the swift page or files and pages and resources and sources, but there's also the manifest that goes into each one of the pages and that's what controls how it appears on a swift playground. So I'm sure Jawad Ama will uh, cover that later in in the in the talk. What else did I see? Uh... Um, oh, Swift Memory Management was good. That was a talk by uh, the other Ray, Ray Fix, and uh, he covered off different kinds of um, memory management, whether it's weak or uh, strong. He showed us how to visualize the uh, the strong and weak references, especially using the uh, memory graph debugger. That was kind of an interesting thing to see a, a cycle of uh, retained uh, objects and showed us how to use uh, weak and unknown, unowned to... Um, manage objects that we uh, want to retain or no, not retain in the case of weak. And then they showed us how to uh, visualize uh, um, uh, a class of, or a bunch of objects that are, have references to each other using again, the memory graph debugger. That was cool. Audrey Tam did a talk on Swift concurrency, which was kind of cool. Again, it was sort of, you know, uh, and what was good about the talk that, that Audrey did was, and hopefully it'll become a standalone video on its own, um, she talked about all the players that are involved in in uh, um, concurrency, which we don't really often talk about. I think maybe Sam might have talked about this, but all the sort of bits and pieces that go into I don't have the slides in front of me, so I can't really talk to them, but, um, uh, you know, and then, and then you know, using um, groups and um, uh, serial, um, and there's a, a blocker. What do you call it? Um, different kinds of uh, different kinds of threads. Where you can have uh, one thread that I forgot the name of. It begins with a B that can block other things until maybe a bunch of processes happen, and then you can continue on and how to do things in current concurrent uh, fashion, which is which is really kind of cool. And it kind of explained how to use dispatch groups and things like that as well. In a real brief, like you know, what, what is it like a 45 minute session we had for those talks, Tammy? Were they 90 uh, minutes? They were 90 minutes. Yeah, so that was uh, those are sort of the highlights that I can think of off the top of my head. So working with Perfect, working with Buddy Build, um, looking at some of the server-side stuff, concurrency. And it was it was interesting about this this particular conference as opposed to previous versions of RW DevCon is the initial one had sort of a, a beginner, intermediate, and advanced track, and you could sort of, you know, pick and choose which one you wanted to go to. Um, last year, I think they did a similar thing where they had an advanced room of intermediate, and they, they broke out the talks in terms of those kind of levels. This year, I think they did something differently. They, they I think they asked people who had attended before, or people in general, what topics they wanted to cover. So it seemed to me that across the board, there were a few uh, sessions that were introductory, but many of them were, I would say, intermediate to advanced. Would you agree, Tammy, in terms of subject matter? Most definitely. Yeah, so it was a much broader uh, thing. I think if you, no matter what your level was, um, you could come into this conference and, and, and gain quite a bit. So it was a good, good, uh, good, uh, good third conference, for sure. And that's what I have to say about that. Oh, is this only the third time they've done it? Yeah, this is the third one, yep. Um, it's good. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, too. There was another uh, sort of new technological uh, uh, evolution, if you will. Uh, the first year was sort of in, in – uh, they had one big ball, ballroom for talks, and then they have smaller rooms for um, – uh, where to go and do the sessions. Uh, last year, they were in the same hotel, the Westin Alexandria, where they had, um, similar to how they used to do um, 360 iDev in Littleton, when they were in Littleton, Colorado, they had one, it's a big giant ballroom that can be split, split into thirds. So the main room was the middle room and it had like a double wide projection section system and then the third one. So I kind of, I kind of, um, I like the fact that the way they have the screens laid out with the multiple screens and they've got these green curtains that, that sit between them. It reminds me very much of the, the um, what's the name of the room, in, the big room in uh, uh, Moscone, <sighs> the Presidio. Presidio? Oh, the it Presidio. Reminds, yeah, it reminds me of the Presidio room with the with the curtains and the whole thing. So it's very much like a like Ray's own, you know, we call it RWDC, just joking about that, right? 
but it's sort of same sort of thing. So when they do big, uh, you know, inspiration talks and things like that, they can they can have two thirds of the room open or or the full third room, uh, the full room open with all three rooms together. So from that point of view, it's kind of cool. But what they did this year was they had LCD technology um, or LED technology, I guess, in terms of uh, these panels where you have multiple panels together that can create a large television screen kind of thing. So the last year they had projection screens and sort of the, most of the speakers were blinded and they couldn't see the audience because they were under spotlights and, you know, uh, the room had to be very dark to be able to see the screens. But this year everything was like wide open, like an open conference room and these big bright uh, LED screens. So that was kind of a neat thing. There were a few technical, technical glitches, technological glitches with that, but it didn't really didn't hamper the show that much, you know, so it was good. Here you go. And I got a jam jar at the end of it. You stole uh, a jam jar at the end of well, it. Well, I was. I, I said to I said to Ray as I was walking, as I'm totally going to steal the jam jar. He goes, "Yeah, no, that's what they're there for." So, so there you go. All right. So the last piece of follow up we have is kind of a significant one. We've talked about it before, and it's it's good and it's bad. It's good because the Mac Pro Apple has said that they are going to refresh it. What's bad about it is we may have to wait another year to eighteen months for that revision and. I mean, before we dive into that, we've talked about that before, because I think the last major upgrade to the Mac Pro, when they were the cheese grater style, the aluminum ones, was 2009, I believe, and then they we had to wait till 2013 for the next one. 2013, maybe not be the right, yeah, 2013. And now we have to wait even further for that. And and it's because, I think we've talked about this before, Mark, and that uh, engineering something like this takes, you know, engineering a new piece of hardware with all the players that go into it is it's quite an effort. It's not like you can just bang out a Mac Pro, right? Right, right. Yeah, it takes a lot of design and and uh, uh, working with the different components to make sure they interact right and and uh, don't cause too many heating issues and performance issues and whatnot. Right. Mm-hmm. So the post I've got here is from the Daring Fireball, I think, which was one of the first people to uh, write about the fact that it was coming out. And this is going back to well, yesterday, I guess. Seems like seems like just yesterday. No, it was yesterday. Um, when the news came out that uh, Mac, uh, yeah, and it was 2013, Mac would, uh, or Apple would be um, uh, bringing out a new design of the Mac Pro. I think they're going to do an incremental minor speed bump to the current one. Um, I don't know that, I mean, I know a lot of people bought them, but I don't know that it's been as successful as, say, the original Mac Pros were back in the day, like the cheese grater ones, right? Um, they're, they're expensive, first of all, you know, like I think yeah. four or five, six thousand dollars to get into, right? And, uh, and the expansion's always been a question with those, right? Yep. Yeah. I, I had a chance to use uh, one of the, what I used to call the, the mini keg ones, the round ones. <laughs> it's kind of like a mini keg of beer. Uh, and I found that for, for doing development work, the stuff that I was doing, it actually wasn't that great. And the reason was that the thing that makes them so good for doing things like video processing and whatnot is, is that they had multiple processors with multiple cores. So you could do a lot of parallel processing on that. So, so for you know for doing stuff that uh, takes a lot of of processing power, but not sequential processing power, they're really good. But for doing something like running Xcode, it actually wasn't that great because you're you're pretty much stuck on one for the most part one thread for most of the stuff you're doing. Uh, so I found that uh, just you know compiling storyboards and, and building wasn't any faster than it was on my on my um, MacBook Pro laptop. So it was kind of a disappointment. Uh, but you know for people who are in the you know the really pro you know the uh, video and, and audio spaces, then yeah, they're probably probably really great. Uh, but you know the number of people doing that is is not as big as as uh, as a general audience. Right, and we talked about that. Uh, we looked at that um, article. I think it was Greg pointed out about the the processing power or speed on the Mac Pro versus the um, other devices. Right, uh, remember that surprising article we saw? I don't remember what? that one. But was it saying that it wasn't as fast? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I would agree. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. Um, oh, I think the Mini was was quite good. Uh, the 2013 Mac Pro, MacBook Pro was, I think, probably the best performer of the of the ones that. They, oh, it was LinkedIn. It was LinkedIn. Oh yeah, I'm so, I'm still running a 2013 MacBook Pro at home. Oh yeah, hmm. yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fast. Yeah, it was. Uh, let's see. So if you just take a quick look at that chart that's there. I yeah, love great, the header image of the angry angry the, the angry Swift bird. The angry Swift bird. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at the chart in terms of performers, um, yeah. Mac, Mac Pro. Yeah, go ahead. There you go. There's the uh, the header of the or the caption of the image in the middle. The more cores you let Xcode use, the slower the builds right, get. Right. Yep. 
Yeah, my experience was the same. Right. Hmm. Yeah, the best performer was was an iMac, uh, which has the least amount of cores, right? Quad four, quad core, and yet the MacBook Pro was was a good performer as well, right? Mac Pro, MacBook Pro, Mac Pro, the one you have, the MacBook Pro. Yeah. You know the old adage: there is not just one tool for all the jobs. That's true. There, you know, it, it depends what you're doing. That's true, but if you're a video producer, like if you're expecting to edit large amounts of video, I mean, that's kind of sort of how I always see the Mac Pro market going towards, you know, the people who are doing high-end graphics, maybe 3D rendering, um, uh, and you would think build servers (laughs) would be another one, uh, although apparently not. Um, Yeah, if you're you're at Pixar doing, you know, heavy-duty animation stuff, then, yeah, that machine's probably perfect for you. Well, you would think, right? But but apparently your mileage does vary, right? Yeah. Surprisingly, right? Hmm. I guess we'd have to see other uh, other benchmarks on these uh, these devices. So, what are you rocking there, Tammy? What are you? What's your main machine? Well, I I just gave my twenty seven inch to my older son because right. I don't use it anymore, mostly because of where it's positioned in the house. So now I am recording all of the tutorials and podcasts and things of that nature on I don't know what is this a thirteen inch. 13 inch early 2016 2015 MacBook Pro mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. for my main machine that I use to do everything except recording is like a 2012 MacBook Pro 15 inch right yeah well i mean you know it comes down to economics too when you look at what's um there like the i think the um, the touch bar macbook pro reportedly uh is just a speed bump improvement over the existing 2015s 2014s 2013 macbook pros right and then there's also the whole debate about the um the dongles the bag of dongles that you need to have it and i can t- testify to that right so um i saw so many bags of dongles at rwdevcon did you really did you really yeah i, I did I wow did. yeah I took a picture as a joke, but because uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the picture, if you go on my Twitter account and you see a picture of, that was Justin Stanley, friend of the show, Justin Stanley's um, MacBook Pro in my in my Twitter picture, but the bag of dongles that I had there were actually the dongles that I carry with my 13-inch MacBook Air. So, you know, I've been carrying a bag of dongles for a long, long time, right? So you never know when somebody needs a DVI or, or VGA or, you know, I even have a modem, uh, Thunderbolt modem, right? Sorry, no, I guess it's a USB modem. BuddyBuild is a continuous integration, continuous deployment, and user feedback platform built specifically for mobile development teams. BuddyBuild takes minutes to get set up and automates the process of configuring a reliable and robust platform for you to build, test, and deploy your apps. Gone are the days of retrofitting legacy web infrastructure and constantly maintaining build scripts to meet your mobile development needs. BuddyBuild gives you back the time normally spent on creating and maintaining your development pipeline so you can focus on building apps your users will love. With BuddyBuild, thousands of companies like Slack, Meetup, and Firefox are confident in their mobile development infrastructure again. Thanks once again to BuddyBuild. All right, well, the next thing we're talking about is the... um Apple building its own GPU, and there's a story here about Imagination Technologies um, took a twenty, 70% plunge after Apple announced that they're building their own GPU, and Tammy's going to tell a story about that. Imagination Technology has been told by Apple, its biggest customer, the makers of iPhones, iPads, and Apple Watches, is to stop using graphics technology in its new products, sending shares in the company crashing more than 70% on Monday. Yep. Imagination said Apple, which accounts for about half its revenue, had noted that the British firm it was developing its own graphics chips and would no longer use Imagination's processing design in 15 months to two years. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd like that article. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I do. <laughs> well, that was, that was how I found out about the GPUs in the first place, was that... Um... And, you know, having Apple, you know, sort of all of a sudden give you a call and go, oh, yeah, by the way, we're not going to be using your business anymore. And they had put all their eggs in that one basket or most of their eggs in that one basket. Oh, come on. We all know that Apple is the king of Sherlocking people and apps and things. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was the story that, that led me to this whole thing about Apple doing its own GPU. Look, it doesn't surprise me with the, the big push that they're doing for metal. So. Oh, really? I'm not at all shocked. I mean. I mean, look, you're looking at 
Metal is known for its friendly behavior with the GPU. I mean, it is the the combination of the two. And then to control both of those things, it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and it's one of those things like the whole metal um, thing that Apple created. That's not really being adopted by other manufacturers. Is that true or... Like what I know about what I know about these this um it's not called metal but um you know the the uh, oh, Jeff Biggles did a talk on it a couple of years two years ago at 360 iDev you know one second let me go get my thoughts together but you know what I mean like there's different there's uh, what do you call that that kind of stuff the what kind of stuff oh the graphic rendering stuff where they they like Apple's, Apple's is called metal and there are other OpenGL is the kind of Open, that's what I'm thinking of, right? And they need to use they either need to use the CPU or the GPU, blah blah blah, right? Is that correct? Sorry, say it again. I was you, in you, transition you. of my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I should look at my article here on 360 on com that I wrote two years ago. 360 <laughs> Oh, sh- be quiet, Tommy. <laughs> I mean, I was coughing. That's all. I swear. Sure, you were. Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, Marn, no. Charles Perry, no. Uh, Greg on Swift, nope. Oh, no layout. I know I took notes on this. Um, hmm. Let me cut that one from the talk. It was too complicated for me. Too much math. Oh, here it is. Supercomputing for iOS on Macs with Metal by Jeff Biggis. This is what I had to say. Jeff gave a brief history of the chips beginning with the CUDA chip in 2007. 2008, Apple introduced OpenCL, which printed the same code to be run on any hardware that supported OpenCL framework. From there, the market started to fragment. AMD bought out Mantle API in 2013 for standard CPUs with embedded GPUs. Apple followed with its metal for Mac OS, Mac and iOS, and the Vulkan product, which began to use AMD's code, and Google decided to go with Vulkan. So Jeff's hope at the time was that Apple would adopt Vulkan in the future. But anyway, so coming back to what I was, that's what I was trying to get my mind around, um, that sort of evolution of whether yeah. they're kind of so, they're So Vulkan, Vulkan is made by the same people who did OpenGL, uh, I'm not 100% sure if it's a replacement for it or if it's just a companion side technology. It may actually be a replacement. Um, so, yeah, so OpenGL and Vulkan and, and uh, Metal are all specifically graphics rendering technologies, like for doing 3D graphics. Uh, but things like OpenCL are a little bit different. That's just more, a more general technology for doing distributed computing. Right. Uh, but yeah, but they can all take advantage of what's called um, vector processing on these right. on these chips, which basically says instead of like what a CPU does is you know you'd want to do a thousand plus a thousand, it has to well yeah that's that's a bad example. But if you if you have say a thousand values of something and you want to add them all to another thousand values of something else and you want to add them all up one by one in, as pairs. So a, a CPU pretty much has to take the first pair, add them, take the second pair, add them, third pair, add them, fourth pair, add them, until you're done. A GPU uh, says it, it's it says you can uh, you can do all thousand sums in parallel because it's like oh, right, a whole yeah. bunch of it's a whole bunch of computers, tiny little computers in parallel to each other. So it can kind of spread out the calculations and and do the whole set of them faster. It's not as general purpose or powerful as a CPU. But for very simple things that you do very repetitively that are independent of each other, they work really, really well. Right. And that brings us back to what Tammy was saying about metal, right, Tammy? Yeah, that basically once you control everything, you control the world. And by that, <laughs> I mean, well, no, by that, I mean, look, you know, going back to way, way, way back, one of the things I used to always talk about was that, hey, look, when you've got... Windows operating system and it, the software itself, the operating system is probably brilliantly created. Okay. And you'll never hear me say that again, except when I, on this show, when I just said it now, it, when you've got brilliant software and you put it on hardware that is outside of your control, you can't really tell right. me how it's going to run. But when you control the software and the hardware, like Apple does with their mm-hmm. OS and their hardware, it's it's masters, you know. I mean, you've got the best of both worlds. You can control every aspect of it. So for them to to start pulling in and making their own GPUs, 
And the fact that they just came out with metal or really are just pushing metal like they are now. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. It's, it's going to be that same comparison. You're going to be looking at now they can do more stuff because they control the world. They got the whole little little universe in a ball is theirs. Right, right. And that's always been their strong point, especially with the Mac systems, is that fact that they create the hardware and the, or sort of control the hardware. And they also, you know, create, create the software that's tuned specifically for that device. Right. Exactly. And so. that's why Windows is, is not as good as it can be, because there's too many people making hardware too for it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, these are all good points. I only make good points. Not really. Not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I sound like, what's that dog uh, from the cartoon? You know, the one with the laugh? Maybe. <laughs> from fr- the the Wacky Racers? or Yeah, 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 yeah. That's silly dog to me. Just so you know, yeah. the dog's name is Muttley. Muttley, thank you, yep. For those of you driving at home. So are you ready for picks? Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, we could do picks. I put two picks just because I was, you had mentioned one on Twitter. Right. Which I think is a fantastic pick. And right. while we were talking about... Is it fantastic or is it uh, fantastic? It's or fantastic. splendid? It's, fa- it's splendid Wonderful. would work. But you want to pick your picks first? Um, or you want to pick your picks last? Mark, maybe Mark should pick his picks. Yeah, okay, I don't have a pick. Okay, that was you want to use You want to use my pick, Mark? Because nope. I have two. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll pick my... I have two picks. My first right. pick... Do you want is, to go now? Are you going to tell your pick now? Yes, I'm going to tell my pick now. All right, go ahead. My first pick is a TED Talk by Jill Sharga. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. But the name of her talk is Please, Please, People. Let's put the awe back in awesome. And this is something right. that I I was talking about with a number of people at RWDEFCON about the word awesome. And more importantly, the overuse of the word awesome. And in chatting with a bunch of folks from the conference, there has been a significant improvement in the vocabulary that everyone is choosing to use instead of the word awesome. And I will admit to you right now that I was an awesome offender from the way back. And Charlie Fulton reminded me today that at my one of my previous talks at RW DevCon, Every time I said the word awesome, this is when I first became aware that the word awesome was overused. Every time I said the word awesome in my talk, him and another friend of mine would give me the glaring eyes like, oh my right, God, right. you said it again, you said it again. And when you've got people pointing out your overuse of that word, it's amazing how quickly you can find another word and also how quickly you can make up words that sound just as, well something that's not awesome spectacular <laughs> tremendous yes so so tammy why don't you get to the point of telling the, the gist of the the uh, thing about the fact that um it's overused and things like the moon landing and getting to the moon is actually oh, yeah, so, that would be awesome right yeah, yeah so what jill mentions in her talk or at least i have not watched it in a long while but from what i remember and i agree with her completely the word awesome should really be reserved for things like the pyramids and, you know, the moon landing and things that are truly awesome. It shouldn't be used for like, oh, hey, I just had this fantastic cheeseburger and it was awesome. Really? And here, here's your, a picture of my awesome cheeseburger. Yeah. Right. Is is your cheeseburger that awesome or was it delicious, enjoyable, right. good, uh, you know, fantastic? There are definitely other words. And what's fun is, you know, I wish Greg was on this show tonight because he is like a super wordsmith. And I know that he would have a, a wonderful time with this. But yeah, save the word awesome for things that are truly awesome. The birth of your first child, that is awesome. Right. The fact that you can take a picture with your camera on your phone that you carry in your pocket, that's awesome. But the picture of the hamburger is not awesome. Right. Exactly. 100%. It's a really so- awesome hamburger, though. <laughs> no. Uh, was it Delicious. built by the Egyptians, Mark? <laughs> Did it fly to the moon, Mark? Yeah. Was it on the moon? Perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, think about it. Think about every time you want to use the word awesome, just stop for just a second and think about a different word that might be, I don't want to say more appropriate, but just any word that's not the word awesome. And you'd well, be amazed. Cool. Uh, well, you know, and the, <laughs> the, the other Cool's thing we were talking about. even more talk- overused than awesome, don't you think? 
Yeah, well, it's funny. Dude, it, depends on where you live. Yeah. yeah, and that's the other thing we were talking about. Like, you know, there are certain words that are overused in certain cultures. Like, we, you know, with, with the internet and Skype and things like that, we are truly connected around the world at this point. So I discovered in this conversation that we were having that um, in South Africa, for example, they don't generally use or rather overuse the word awesome. They generally overuse the word brilliant or what was the other one, Tim? Because you were part of this. Well, brilliant, brilliant was uh, was uh, England, actually. Um, brilliant yeah, was England. The, yeah. And what was the South African Oh, word? man, I don't know. A stunning, yeah. stunning. That stunning. was it. Yeah. Yeah. So stunning was over in South Africa. Brilliant was over in the UK. And I'm sure there are probably millions of other words from. But we were actually places. talking about expletives, right? We were talking about things that people like, like colorful words that people use and how they're used and how sometimes it can be adjectives or verbs or whatever. And we were getting into the sort of what people's sort of favorite words were. And that's when the conversation degraded into the discussion of the use of the word awesome. I think. I'm so glad you have a better memory than me because I'm just like, yeah, we had this conversation. I just don't know how it started. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So my other pick, unless you have any more questions about the awesome pick. No, that was an awesome story, Tammy. Thank you. Truly awesome. Oh, I'm going to knock you guys out. <laughs> <laughs> so my other pick is something, it's it's an app, and I don't know if it's available. Excuse me. I don't Valuable? know if <laughs> I make up my own words. I don't know if this is available on other platforms, but I do know it's available on the iOS platform. And the name of the app is Multi Timer Advanced Timer for Multiple Timing. Right. And I discovered that app while doing the room hosting at RW DevCon. I, I was very cognizant of the timings that were required for each session. And I wanted to make sure that I had a way to keep my speakers on track. And I went searching for, for different apps and I'm like, all right, well, this one looks really good. And we started to use it. And what's really nice about this is although we didn't use this at the RW DevCon, it has a watch component, an Apple watch component. And I think that that will make things a lot easier for people in the future. Uh, not only at that conference, but just in general at keeping time, you know, you can set the time right. on your phone and then boom, you can have it, you know, your, your Apple watch vibrate or send some type of signal to let you know when that time is up. So definitely that is, that is my second pick and my last pick for this show. Right. And to add some explanation to the story is that um, as the, each session was broken down, I think we said there were 90 minutes, right? So there was a certain amount of time, like say 10 minutes or whatever, for introductions and, and going over the first set of slides, right? And then there was so much time, 20 minutes or so for each of the labs and then, you know, five or 10 minutes for questions and then another lab and so on and so forth, right? Um, that's how, yeah. and so when I looked at Tammy's iPad, she had, you know, six different timings set up and she just tapped on the screen to start and stop each timer. Is that not correct, Tammy? That is absolutely correct. And in fact, I will send you a screenshot of my of my setup. Well, that would there. be great. Save me having to do some artwork for the show. I will. I will. All right. It's going to cost you though, awesomely. <laughs> man, <laughs> man, I tell you. All right. So my pick was well. So those of you who sit to yourself and say, you know, I don't know why I bother going to RW DevCon when I can just stay home and watch the videos. That may be true, but one of the things that happens at every RW DevCon is becoming a tradition. I don't know how it's going to be like like Tammy or it's going to be like uh, Jaime and uh, Greg's picoramas where they have to one up each other. Um, at the end of every every conference, Ray has pulled a rabbit out of the hat and, and uh, given a preview or pre-release or just released book. Um, the first year, I think it was the uh, iOS animations by Marin Todorov, right? Is that correct, Tammy? At first, at the first 2013? I think that was the first one, yeah. You're 2015 right. RWCon. And then last year, we got the uh, 3D uh, book, uh, 3D game book, game design book by Chris Language, right? And uh, didn't you have a hand in that one too, Tammy? This past one, yeah. I was the final pass editor on that. Right. And so that was, you know, that was sort of a last minute surprise. Well, this year uh, we had two surprises, one of which, which is my pick. And the second one, second one, I think is all is equally is equally. I don't want to use the A word, but the second one is called Advanced Apple Debugging and Reverse Engineering. And that's by Derek Salander, uh, which Derek does an amazing uh, workshop session on uh, taking apart uh, 
uh, iOS and Mac apps, um, sort of breaks it down right down to the um, machine code level um, in terms of how you can figure out what's going on inside an application and make it bend to your will and that kind of stuff. Anyway, so he's written a book on that, and that was the second book that we were given as sort of a, a double surprise. But the first one, which sort of fits in with what we've been talking about on the show for the last couple of months, um, specifically with Greg and Jaime and being excited about this, and, and uh, I did actually attend a session by Marin Todorov on this particular one, but um, Marin and a bunch of other authors, uh, I think Ash Farrow was involved as a tech editor, um, I'll get the names of the guys off the book in a second. But they have just released a book called RX Swift Reactive Programming in Swift. And uh, basically, it's a good uh, introduction to um, uh, RX Swift and reactive programming in general. Um, and it's just become available uh, as, you know, as we speak. Uh, I think it, so what Saturday was the day that was given to us. And it basically went on sale, I think, Monday morning. Um, of course the difference is, you know, we got a hard cover, hard copy book, but if you buy the PDF version, you can be guaranteed that like any other book you buy from Rayward or like, um, the, it'll, the, as things update, uh, you'll get an update version of the book. Um, there was also a review written today, uh, which probably says more about the book than I can say, and we'll put this in the show notes, but Adam Boric at, of adamboric.com wrote a book review on uh, RX Swift, uh, reactive programming in Swift. Um, he talks about he's been working in uh, RX Swift for a number of years, or basically reactive programming for a number of years. So he talks about the fact that these four authors, um, Florent Pillay, uh, Junior Bonatonali, uh, Maren Todorov, and Scott Gardner. Scott Gardner does uh, some uh, awesome videos on lynda.com on iOS development. Um, but uh, these guys are no slouches. They've been around the while, uh, around the iOS development community for a while. Um, and he talks about the fact that uh, the book is a good introduction for um, most developers, but it also does uh, it also covers off a lot of different things like MM, MVVM, which is a typical difficult topic to talk about. Um, and uh, the bottom line, he says, uh, definitely buy this book. Uh, as as somebody who comes not, not speaking for myself, but the. Per- um, Adam says, you know, it even as a, somebody who's experienced with the book, um, if you're on a, a beginner or you're on a reactive team and somebody joins the team, it's a great book to sort of um, introduce to people. So what do you think? Haven't read the book, can't say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's my pick. I think it's a good pick. Okay. I like it. Just good? Not well, Amazing? It's 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 amazing for people who are interested in that. I am not interested in that. I'm more uh, interested in games and that kind of stuff. But right. I have heard amazing things. And I know that this book was only just recently given out, obviously, at RW DevCon and then put on sale. But there are people who have already pretty much read it cover to cover and right, have nothing right. but amazing things to say about it, which makes sense because these are amazing books that Ray and the I team know. puts out. Use another word, Tammy. I yeah. said amazing. Did you say they're amazing? You said amazing like six times. <laughs> you could have at least thrown one awesome in there. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Super califragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah, but these ones are really amazing. Truly amazing. <laughs> Awesomely amazing. Oh, man. Fantastically, fiendishly, frantically fun. Extraordinarily amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extraordinarily Well, for he says, in summary, he says, for now, it's the only complete source and knowledge about RX Swift. So if you want to start or just start learning about reactive programming and you don't want to waste your time searching on Google, I think buying this book would be a good decision. That's a direct quote from the blog page, which is on the internet, so it must be true. So it must be true, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and actually, yeah, he's saying that uh, if you, well, I don't know if by the time this show will be on the air, um, hmm. apparently it's on sale uh, for $10 off until the end of this week hmm oh well sorry sorry <laughs> is that it are we there yet that's all i got i got no more yeah no more no more all right so hey mark if people want to get in touch with you how do they do that you can go to mark r at smapsoft.com or at smapsoft if you must use twitter all right and tammy if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs how do they do that 
Oh, the best way to find me is on Twitter at Paradox927. All right. And you have some new website? Oh, yeah. Yeah. we uh, Chris Language, the author of uh, 3D games, 3D Apple games by tutorials. Him and I started a website not too long ago by the name of dayoftheindie.com. And what we're doing over there is we are focusing on everything about game design and development. We're also doing this really fun series. We're trying to do it weekly, although I'm a little bit behind on my schedule. But basically, we do a Do You Remember? And what that is, is we take old video games, we remix the music, and then we send out that video for the world to go back and remember. I think the last one we just mm-hmm. did was like Lemmings or the great Gianna sisters. So check it out. Have fun. And uh, let us know what you think. All right. Thanks cool. for the plug, Tim. No worries, Tammy. <laughs> All right. So as the top of the show, I'm Timitra. I'm T-I-M-O-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. So I guess until next week, we'll say goodbye. Bye. See ya. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items to be talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you could, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help spreading the word. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. got tickets for whatever this is but it's being called yes featuring anderson raven and waitman at Mount uh, okay. i'm not sure exactly what that means usually when they say featuring yeah. for this for this venue yeah that's that's the opening band yeah so i wonder if if it's the you know if it's the real band well the real band the the, the the correctly named band with uh, ARW opening for them. That would be kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So back to the yes thing. I wonder if that's because um, they must have a, like uh, a contract that they sign as to who's in the band and who's currently not. You know. But the cool thing is that they're potentially you know they're doubling up or they're combining forces or whatever. Yeah. So that's going to be Thanks. what Anderson is. Uh, hello, Tammy. Hey, uh, the party could start now. How are you? <laughs> Good. Hey, we were just talking about the... the land of country music. Hey? <laughs> How are things in the land of country music? <laughs> uh, very musical and country-like. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So Mark asked a question, which I kind of wondered about, too, um, and that is, um, you know the song Roundabout by Yes? Uh, sing it to me, Tim. Uh, I'll be the roundabout. <laughs> You're being a jerk. <laughs> the words will make you out and out. We'll spend the day your way. Call it morning, weird. driving through the sun and in and out the valley. Yeah, I know that. around the lake. <laughs> anyway, that's, that happens to be one of my favorite songs. Actually, that is my favorite Yes song, by the way. So. Really? Yeah, and it's called Roundabout. Go figure. Hmm. We need to change the other podcast theme song. <laughs> I guess so. Anyway, You'll have to Mark, sing it, though. But I was telling Mark that uh, the reason why you... Um, I can actually play that one on guitar, part, part of it anyway. Mark was asking, and I was sort of saying it's called Roundabout because we go roundabout in circles and off on tangents and stuff. Isn't that the idea? True story, yeah. 100% true. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is, too, you know, we usually get some some stuff in the after show as we talk about the life universe and everything, right? So, uh, Well, I just posted a life universe thing now that you mentioned it. Oh, yeah, it's, that's true. You did. 
I did. I really did. I, I think, um, I don't believe that my views are necessarily popular mm-hmm. among, among, uh, the entire communities, but they are based on my experiences. So I can't really change my experiences. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell the people who are listening to the after show what it's about? So uh-huh. What my post was about was that several times I was asked during the RW DevCon and even before that about my opinions on women in tech and mm-hmm. diversity and, and things like that. And again, my opinion may not necessarily be a popular one because I believe that at the very heart of the problem, people need to be responsible for themselves and they need to not give so much power to other individuals. Mm-hmm. And I feel fear that we're setting a precedence here that says, Hey, look, you're not good enough. And we've got all this proof that you're not good enough because look how hard it is based on this certain condition and you meet that condition. And I really think that's discrediting a lot of people. Discrediting is the wrong word. I think that so many people have so much to give, but they're so afraid to give it because of some perceived something wrong with them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I said something to somebody earlier today and I was just basically repeating back what they said and they thought I was offended by what they said. And I'm like, no, I'm not offended by it at all. Um, you know, I just feel like we're creating this, this, this world in which people are afraid to be themselves and afraid to, take charge of their life and be the best they can be, you know? I don't know. Maybe you should just go read the post. I say it so much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, we talked about, yeah, because we were, we were in a circle of um, like-minded individuals, let's say that, at uh, RWDevCon. We were talking about this and um, after the after the show was over. Um, and I think like, like, I mentioned one old lady that I talked about. We were talking about racism, racism at one point and, you know, um, I'm of mixed race myself, but the, uh, her point was that there are, there is no race. We're all part of the human race and how we, we, we've divided ourselves and given ourselves these labels by, you know, what part of the world we're from or what color of the skin we have or what kind of hair we have and that kind of stuff. Right. And, uh, and that sort of how we, we perceive that we're being judged that way. And what Tammy's article talks about is the fact that you are more than just a label, I think was the name of the, the thing. Right. Um, yeah, that, that, that's yeah. it. That's exactly it. It's like, you know, uh, under, labels are needed. Labels are needed only for that initial identification. Right. You know, so you can, you can find out where you need to go to, to get the help that you need, right? Because there are so many people who don't have a voice for a number of different reasons. They've never been, one, probably the biggest one is they've never been told that they have a voice and that they can use Mm -hmm. it. Two, when they have tried to use their voice, they got smacked down, you know, and and they never tried again. And these are the people that I want to reach. These are the people that I want to say, look, take, take the bad experiences you've had in your life and throw them away. Don't let them define who you are. Don't let someone outside of, of your little circle tell you that you are anything other than you. Okay. You have got the power within you to do whatever it is you want to do. Don't let someone walk into, to your life and your experience and say, Hey, look, you're a woman, so it's going to be more difficult for you. Or you're, you're, um, a a black man. So it's going to be more difficult for you. That may be true, but don't focus on that. Switch it around. Focus on, look, you are special because you're you. You have these qualities. You have these capabilities. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to redefine who you are or fit into some crazy idea of what society thinks you're supposed to be. You know, and I always relate it back to my firefighter training. I decided to be a firefighter because I wanted to do that. I was under the impression that I needed to meet certain criteria in order to, you know, run into a burning building and save someone's life. But when I got to fire school, they said, oh, you're, you're a woman? 
that means you're a minority. That means you don't have to take the same test that the men have to take. And I'm like, excuse me? They're like, no, 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 no. You don't have to put your turnout gear on in 30 seconds. You get 45 seconds Mm -hmm. and you don't have to tie five knots. You only need to tie three and you don't need to lift 175 pounds. You only lift to you only need to lift 125 pounds. And I'm like, no, that's not right. People can die because you're lowering your standards because you think I can't do it because what? I'm a woman. No, that's not how you get equality. You get equality by treating people the same. And I, and I get that people are out there and they're fighting this uphill battle with ignorance and, and stupidity. You have to look past that. You have to only bring the things into your existence that make you feel good. You have to allow the people into your life that make you feel good. Not the ones that bring you down. Not the ones that tell you you can't. Get rid of them. They're no good. It's like it's like hmm. dragging a, an anchor when you're trying to sail off. Never works. Never. Right. Sorry. Yeah, the only problem with that is that, that there are some situations where people don't have a choice. But I mean, it is your point, though, about the fact that they still need to know that that there are choices out there, whether they whether they can reach for that choice at the moment of time or maybe they can work towards it in, in future. You know, it's the people who have found their voice and who are in a position to speak. Those right. are the ones that need to rise up around the individuals who haven't yet learned that they can. Right. But we need to do it. And I put myself in the position where I'm one of those people who never had a voice. I didn't have a voice. I always got smacked down. I always got told I couldn't do it. But I learned that that's bullshit, that I do have the power within myself to accomplish anything I want. But I wasn't always like that. I needed the people who were already there at that point to rally around me and to teach me that I can. But if those people taught me that I couldn't because life was unfair because of who I was or where I came from, I would never think that I had the power. I would always Mm -hmm. be too focused on pointing to the person preventing me from doing things. So guess what? The person preventing me from doing things was myself. And I needed to realize that. And I needed the people who were stronger than I was around me to help point that out. And now I'm the strongest person in the room when it comes to things about me. There's nobody stronger than me when it comes to things about me. And that's how everyone needs to think that if there's something you want to go out for, I don't care what it is, you need to be your biggest advocate. You need to be your strongest person. And if you're not in a position to do that right now, that's okay. Find the common sense voice in the room that can help you and guide you to that point. Because they're Mm -hmm. out there. There are people out there. Don't listen to the guy who tells you, well, it's never going to be right for you because this person's always going to hold you back. Bullshit. Step over that person and move forward.